Welcome back to the Inclusive and Online Podcast. My name is Dan. I'm Kate. And I'm Kayla. And together, we're your hosts for the Inclusive and Online Podcast. On this month's episode, we're sitting down with OU's Director of Student Financial Aid, Nicole Bulk, to discuss FAFSA simplification. As I've mentioned in past episodes, I started my higher ed career in student financial aid. Over the course of seven years, I practiced the art of financial aid and advised students and families on their options. It was a tough but rewarding experience. And even though it was a difficult job and the stress level was high, I don't look back at my time in financial aid negatively. I met a lot of hardworking and dedicated higher ed professionals. And since you're working with money and in many cases, the livelihood of others, you often face varying types of criticism from those you serve. Ultimately, I think developing some understanding of financial aid and its impact on students is important for many of us in the higher education realm because it impacts so many of the students that we work with. From a student perspective, I am interested in hearing more about financial aid from an administrative perspective. I have had some eye-opening conversations with Dan in the past about financial aid based on his past experiences, and I think having more of an understanding of the process is beneficial to students who are currently receiving financial aid. Recently, the federal government announced an overhaul of the FAFSA application, promising a simplified application process. We thought we'd go right to our foremost local experts on the issue, our financial aid office, to learn more about what that means for everybody. We'd like to welcome OU's Director of Student Financial Aid, Nicole Bulk, to the Inclusive and Online Podcast. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what led you to your current position at OU? Hi, Kate. Thank you for having me here today to talk with all of you. So a little bit about me. I have actually been in the financial aid profession for over 18 years now. I started um, back in 2005 in the nonprofit sector, the private nonprofit sector of education. And I started as what we then called a financial aid officer. I moved to a campus manager position. And then I ultimately became the director of financial aid processing at the institution where I was working I did some work outside of the financial aid office in addition to my what we'll call day job at that time. I also was a founding member of our DEI council at the institution that I was at. And so it aligns very nicely with what we do in financial aid in terms of access for students. And it's just a personal passion of mine as well. So uh, in addition to my financial aid day job, I also uh, was a integral part of that work that we did on campus. And then about a year ago, I decided, you know what, I'm ready for the next level. Let's see what's out there. I knew OU had had a position open for a period of time. And I thought, what the heck, I'll throw my hat in the ring, see where it lands. And here I am 13 months later uh, as the director of financial aid at OU. Well, that's awesome. For those who aren't aware of the changes, can you explain the recent FAFSA simplification changes? Yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. So FAFSA simplification is kind of just a big name for a series of laws that took effect that are creating positive change for students and families as it relates to access to higher education. So In a nutshell, and I'll go into some details, but in a nutshell, it's an overhaul of processes and systems at the federal level. That has a trickle-down effect on processes and systems at the campus level, and ultimately, hopefully, will mean expanded access for students in terms of aid eligibility. 
So a few of the key big points that are coming from FAFSA simplification is that the 2024-25 FAFSA will not be available until December. We do not know exactly what date yet in December, but in December, we are supposed to see the launch of the FAFSA. It will be critical for students to do that FAFSA as quickly as possible. We will be a couple months behind in being able to do FAFSA compared to historical standards, at least the last 10, 12 years. So it'll be important for families to do that FAFSA right away. Right now, the main thing that would be important for students and families to be working on is making sure that everyone has studentaid.gov login credentials. This was formerly known as the FSA ID. You still will see some terminology about FSA ID, but they're kind of switching up that those terms as well. And who may need credentials for FAFSA completion could be expanded depending on the family situation. So we are encouraging the student, of course, to have their credentials, the parent that they need to use on the FAFSA. If that parent has been remarried, we are also encouraging the step parent to have credentials. And if the student themselves has gotten married recently, we're also encouraging that their spouse have credentials that they can use for FAFSA completion. So who has to have credentials has expanded. And I'm going to share a little bit more about why that expansion has happened as it relates to FAFSA simplification. So essentially FAFSA simplification is, the critical piece of this is that it is automatically pulling tax information, whether you filed taxes or you didn't file taxes, it's pulling that information directly from the IRS. For many years now, families have had a choice to automatically transfer tax information, but it truly was a choice of whether or not to use it. We strongly encouraged it. It made life simpler. Uh, but now there, that, that choice has been taken away a little bit. Now the federal student aid programs are saying, let's go ahead and let's uh, get that information from the IRS so that we can make sure we have the most accurate information in determining aid eligibility. Now, Layered on top of that, FAFSA simplification isn't just something that's happening for 24-25. This has actually been a four-year ramp up to where we're going in 24-25. So some great things have happened because of FAFSA simplification. It used to be that if males weren't registered for the selective service, they weren't eligible for Title IV funding. That got eliminated. It used to be that if you were convicted of selling or possessing illegal drugs while receiving Title IV funding, that you couldn't receive financial aid that was eliminated. We used, for a period of time, we had a cap on how much subsidized loans a student could borrow. That got eliminated through FAFSA simplification. We also saw expansion of homelessness determinations. Who could make determinations? What qualified a person for homelessness determinations? And so we really are seeing great things come from the change even if the change means that there's a bit of a delay for this year. One of the things that I also think is exciting for students and families, and again, this is new for us, we're going to have to see how it shakes out, is that we've seen a great decrease in the number of questions being asked on the FAFSA. So we're moving from 108 questions to 46 questions. And so families are going to have to provide far less information than they have in the past. 
uh, and most of that coming from the tra tax transfer process. So hopefully that means completion of the FAFSA, the rates will increase, which is a great thing for students because the FAFSA is the gateway to federal, state, and some institutional funding. The other thing that is um, kind of an abstract concept, but critical in the work that we do, the FAFSA historically had produced what's called an expected family contribution. That was a metric that we in the financial aid offices used to determine what types of financial aid and how much of that aid a family could qualify for or a student could qualify for. That's gone away. That That is no longer exists in 24-25. Instead, the FAFSA is going to produce what's called a student aid index or an SAI. That SAI we will use very much in the same way that we use EFC, but we are seeing national data that is showing hopefully that SAIs will be lower than EFCs, which hopefully will mean an expansion of federal aid and state aid and potentially institutional aid to students. And so that there's a lot of positive that has happened from FAFSA simplification. There are some things we're not sure of that have happened as FAFSA simplification, simply because um, we need to see it roll out just as students and families do as well. So for example, a couple of things that we just need to see what happens is that families used to report the number of people in college and the number of people in college had a positive benefit on their aid eligibility. Families are still being asked to report on the FAFSA the number in college, but the data is not being used for anything anymore. And so there isn't necessarily a benefit of having more than one student in college in a family. But what we're seeing from federal data is that because the changes are so significant in the methodology that we're hoping a person's eligibility remains roughly the same. Um, if not, we're encouraging students to talk with us in the financial aid office so that we, we do have mechanisms that if it warrants it, we can make additional changes if there's documentation to support those changes. And so we're just waiting to see kind of what that data looks like, because until students start doing FAFSAs, we don't really know what this is going to mean. Yeah, the I, wanna, I wanna talk about that, the EFC and, and the SAI, because sure. EFC was really, you know, the expected family contribution. That was, you know, the nuts and bolts of how you know everything was determined aid-wise. And I do think it's interesting that they're they're making that change on the number of people in the household. <clears throat> I'm curious, just you know, I I know that there's probably not a lot of chatter on this right now in the financial aid community because we haven't started seeing FAFSAs. But you know, what are some of the concerns that colleagues you know have shared about moving from the EFC to the SAI, positive or negative, and knowing that nothing has really played out at this point? But just what are some of the Pros and cons that are you know, kind of being discussed in the financial aid community. Yeah, great question. So the movement from EFC to SAI in terms of the basics of financial aid isn't causing us a lot of stress. We are still talking about cost of attendance minus SAI equals financial need. We think it's a great thing that federal data is suggesting to us that SAIs are going to be lower than EFCs because that means students could qualify for more need-based aid, perhaps more Pell Grant funding, more uh, subsidized loans, 
more federal work study funding. Um, now, having said that, there are, there are some big things that have to happen because of this change. For example, the new Michigan Achievement Scholarship that was an amazing $5,500 at public institutions for the high school graduating class of 2023 in the state of Michigan absolutely opened up access to higher education for students. But in the statute for that, the qual one of the qualifying factors is that they have had to have an EFC of 25,000 or less. Right now, statute hasn't been updated. This funding is still going to be there, but we are reliant upon the statute being updated by our legislatures to whatever the new metric is in order to be able to even communicate with families about who's going to qualify for this. Institutionally at OU, it has also meant that we had to rethink our institutional need-based aid. We used EFC for everything that we did. And so we had to go back to the drawing board and we had to say, okay, are we going to use an SAI or are we going to use some other qualifying criteria? And we decided that we were going to move away from using SAI because that's really something that families don't know until they do the FAFSA. And we instead were going to move to a family income, family asset model because families typically know what their income is and they know what their assets are. And so we decided that we were going to move for our need-based aid to qualifying if you have a family income of less than or equal to $70,000 and family assets of less than $50,000. That conceptually is something families can have that it's tangible. The um, So the positives of the move to SAR were, were that it required us to rethink the way in which we do work. And hopefully also because of the methodology change that produces the SAI off of the FAFSA, hopefully we're going to see an expansion of aid eligibility to families. It's interesting to me, you know, just because of this, it, it is a big upheaval and, and people, you know, I say that, you know, many people have been familiar with the EFC, yet there's a lot of unfamiliarity behind it because, you know, there are different calculations based on life circumstances as well. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, what are some of the things, some of the things that are happening internally and with financial aid offices to help explain that difference to families? That's a great question and probably something that we honestly haven't explored enough or fully. Um, there, the, uh, It's understandable too, because I mean, you, you haven't seen a lot of the results either. So I'm just curious that the federal government's helped any in prepping uh, the financial aid community for this. Yeah, there has been some information produced, like what is an SAI? Well, it stands for Student Aid Index. It's a measure of a family's ability to pay, which also was what the EFC was. Um, I think where the conversations are going to get real with families isn't so much about my EFC was X and my SAI is Y, but it's more when I get my financial aid offer, what is the difference in the aid that I'm receiving? And so when we start to actually be able to produce financial aid offers for families, that's when I think our conversations are going to become uh, more real for families about the difference between the two metrics, the EFC and the SAI, and um, why that is, why the change is. Now, for families who get more aid, we might not hear from them. And that's great. We want families to have more aid. But for families who perhaps were benefiting from having more than one student in college, 
or we're benefiting from not having to include family farm or small business assets on their FAFSA who now have to include those and they see their SAI being more than their EFC. Well, it's not because it's an EFC SAI thing. It's because of the other changes on the FAFSA that produced those results. And so I think we're going to have more conversation around the methodology changes, especially with returning students, as we start to put out financial aid offers for the 24-25 school year. Yeah, that's interesting because I was in my financial aid days, I was always super into the different formulas and what qualified someone for one formula over the other. So I, I do think it's interesting seeing this change because that EFC was such a cornerstone of everything I did, you know, day in and day out uh, in that department, that it's a really huge sweeping federal level change that all institutions receiving federal aid have to adapt to. So really, you know, thanks, thanks for breaking that part down for us. Absolutely. Thus concludes part one of our two-part series on financial aid. Join us next month as we pick up the conversation and discuss different aspects of DEI within the financial aid process. Kate, take it away. We'd like to thank Nicole for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. We value your feedback and your ratings and reviews will help others discover our show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Inclusive Online Pod and our Facebook page, Inclusive and Online. If you'd like to get in touch with us with your ideas, feedback, or request to collaborate, you can send us an email at inclusiveonlinepod at gmail.com. We'll be back next month with our next episode. Until then, we hope you feel included. <laughs>